0: So I'm going to jump right into what I'm going to talk about today. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in Acts 10 in just a minute, and we're going to do uh, a lot of Acts 10. So uh, forgive me in advance. Well, don't forgive me in advance for that, but just be pre- prepared for that. And so what I, what I want to talk about this morning is I think that our greatest way of really discovering what God wants to do in and through us is going to be in His Word. I think sometimes we sit around like, what does God want to do with me? And we dream up these big things of what we would like to see God do in and through us. But we really mostly dream our own dream instead of allowing God to do what he wants to do in and through us. And I believe that the primary way that that happens is we get in his word and he He speaks to us. He encourages us. And and part of what I want to do in and through today is as you read and if you've been reading along with us in the one year Bible, we were we're reading through Acts. And I think last Sunday or Monday, Acts 10 was in your schedule. Um, But the word speaks. Like we we should be reading it and we read it, not just go, OK, I've done what I should do today because it's what I do as a believer. I read his word, but we should be looking at the word of going, what is God trying to do in me? Because if you don't know this by now, regardless of um, when your introduction to Jesus was, with it, whether it was yesterday or twenty four, five years ago for me. Regardless of when that is, God's still actively working, shaping, molding you. And until you draw your last breath, He will constantly be shaping and molding you. Period. If, if you believe that you say yes to Jesus and you arrive, um, let me just tell you at the beginning, especially if you haven't met Jesus yet personally, uh, and entered in a relationship with Him, it's, it's an ongoing journey. There's, there's no arriving. There's a belonging. But there's not an arriving until we enter into his glory, which is his kingdom, either at his return or in our death as believers. And so this morning, I want to talk about um, this. This is the one question. Are you making yourself available for God to send you? Are you making yourself available for God to send you? And the, the joy of really seeing, because we read some of these stories and we're like, "Man, if this would happen to me, like uh, chapter nine uh, at, before ten, there was a lady in sorry Tabitha um, who was called Dorcas. <laughs> I mean seriously, like and I'm sure that's not the connect, the correct pronunciation, but seriously, Dorcas dies. I mean, can you imagine the church has begun? One of your kind of pivotal servants in the church dies. Some of the followers let you know as the apostles uh, and they come and they wake her up from death and she. Is alive, I mean, you I don't know how you can read those things and go, oh, my gosh, you know, like how amazing would it be for for you to see God do something that miraculous and so you see this happen In I believe that was Acts 9, maybe Acts 8. And then in Acts 10, you see something that really changed the church as we know it. We wouldn't be here if there wasn't an Acts 10. Because we, unless you're um, by birth a Jew, then we're all Gentiles in this room. And without Acts 10, without a bit of discomfort, there would be no church as we know it today. And so the joy of seeing God move normally comes through a bit of discomfort. That's the key here. Uh, if you don't like discomfort and you want to avoid that, then you're probably going to avoid seeing God move um, in miraculous ways. And I don't mean just miraculous like Dorcas coming back to life. I don't know why I like saying her name. Uh, Tabitha coming back to life. I mean just miraculous meaning seeing people transformed from life to death see the question isn't do you want to see God move because truthfully hopefully all of us would go yes we want to see God move so the real question this morning is are you willing to put yourself in a position to hear him and a willingness to do what he asks?" those are key because we cannot have the dream of seeing something happen like um your children transform your neighborhood transform we can we can't have these dreams of seeing god do something big without us being willing to allow our our lives um to be uncomfortable and we're going to see peter get really uncomfortable really Diametrically, I mean, he, his whole paradigm of who he is is going to change or begin to change, and we see through Acts that he still struggles with this a little bit. and He runs back and hides this freedom that God's given him. But right now, God's trying to change him in his internal so that he can change the world around him. And so here, here we pick up, and and I'm going to I'm going to tell you about Acts. 10, one through nine or one through eight, and then we're going to jump into verse nine. Uh, but we meet this guy named Cornelius. So this is the whole story today. Is in and around this person. Uh, Cornelius is a centurion. He's a Roman um, soldier. He's in charge of a hundred other soldiers. He's part of this, uh, I think, Italian brigade that's um, in Caesarea, um, and he is a devout man of God. In we know. For sure, he is not completely converted to Judaism because it says later that he's uncircumcised. So if he had have made the conversion to Judaism, he would have been circumcised at this point. But he, he loves God. He, he fears God. He gives alms to the poor. He serves faithfully. He has a good reputation. And what's crazy about this, because we don't think of it necessarily this way, but he's part of the Roman government that everyone else was expecting God to rid them of. He's part of what they would think is the problem for Israel. And God's getting ready to open the door to this Roman centurion. So he's a God-fearing Gentile who believes in the Jewish God. He displayed his faith by giving alms generously um, to the people and praying continually to God. And we see in this First 8, vo- v- verses that one of these, and he was very dedicated in prayer, in one of his times praying to God, which is partly where I want to go today. He has a vision. An angel appears to him and tells him to go retrieve Simon. Peter. Go retrieve this guy who's in Joppa, which is a 33 mile trip there, 33 mile trip back. And to bring this guy back. He, he speaks to him. He says, I I God the angel tells him, I've I've witnessed your faithfulness, your alms, and in and, and almost not necessarily, but almost like your faithfulness is gonna be rewarded. Go get this guy. And immediately he doesn't question the angel, immediately he sends his guys to go get Peter. Immediately. Which I'll make sense of why I said immediately when we get to Peter. Love Peter. And so he sends, and this is this is multiple days. This is two to three days before we're, we're going to pick up in verse 9. Two to three days before this, because they're in motion already. These guys are heading to pick up Peter at the house of Simon the Tanner, waiting for this moment. They're, they're heading there. And so we pick up with Peter in verse 9. In verse 9, it says, The next day. As they were on their journey approaching the city, Peter went up to the housetop at the sixth hour to pray. This was around noon. See, Peter wasn't sitting around doing nothing. Peter wasn't in this moment going, hey, I'm getting ready to go upstairs and I'm going to get a divine vision from the Lord and the church is going to change. Peter was just serving, loving the Lord, spending time with his creator, period. He wasn't He wasn't up there for anything else, and this was his time. This was his moment that he had dedicated himself to spend time with God, and he's there on the roof, hungry, which we'll see in just a second, waiting just to be connected. Verse 10. And it says, and he became hungry, it's, it's lunchtime, and wanted something to eat. But while he was preparing it, while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. And he saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise Peter, kill and eat. We know that Peter struggles with his obedience when God speaks. He questions like, oh, I'm not going to deny you. Will you, do you love me? And he struggles with these things. There's lots of threes with Peter. We're not really going to get into that, but that's a whole nother story. But Peter in verse 14, but Peter said, by no means. Lord, I'm not going to Denounce you three times, even though you said I am. And now the Lord is telling him something. He says, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. So Peter, his entire life has lived under this Levitical law, which is all of these things, which, you know, if you read in the Old Testament, there's a whole list of things that you couldn't eat. And so his whole life, he had stayed away from those things, never touched them, never been around them, because that would make him unclean. And in this moment, God tells him to do something that is diametrically opposed to what he thinks and believes. In verse 14, And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. Look at 13, I mean 16. And this happened three times. The centurion, the, the, the Gentile, the one that should be separated from God, he doesn't even have the Holy Spirit yet, doesn't have this connection to the living God, hasn't embraced the sacrifice of Je- Jesus. He hears from the angel, immediately sends his guys to retrieve Peter. Peter three times, even though he is the Holy Spirit, even though he preached a sermon where 3,000 people got Saved, even though he was part of Tabitha's rising from the dead, he's still questioning and struggling with God's obedience. And I just want to—I just want to release you. If you're struggling with God's obedience, doesn't mean that you're a wicked, evil person. Peter struggled with that obedience. What that means is that at some point you have to realize that when God speaks, He's not asking for your opinion. He's not asking for how you feel about that. He's saying in this chain, I mean, this inwardly, I don't know how to even describe in our culture something that you've held for your entire life, God, and even something you feel that God gave your people. He's now saying, ignore that. Now, he's ignoring it for a very good reason. And we see in the New Testament that Jesus deals with this whole thing, that it's not what goes into our mouth that makes us unclean. It's what comes out of us. It makes us unclean. And this is completely... I mean, Peter just did not know what to do with this. And he struggled with it. And God showed him again, faithfully. I mean, he patiently he showed him again. No, no, no. Don't call what I say is clean common. And he shows him a third time. And then it was taken up into heaven. Verse 17. It says, now while Peter was inwardly perplexed. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I haven't had a whole lot of visions where, you know, sheets have been lowered. I've never had a vision of sheets being lowered and food and all that other stuff. But you can imagine he's a little confused, even though God's saying, hey, don't, you know, he's kind of opening up in this whole section of scriptures. God going to show him what he's meaning about this. And it says, while Peter was inwardly perplexed, as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. So as he's he has this vision, he's sitting there like, I mean, I don't know if you've ever had that moment where you're having devotions and you feel like, man, God's doing something. What, what may this mean? It's like, <laughs> like there's no more direct. What does this mean when you hear a knock? On the door. In verse 18 it says. And called out. To ask whether Simon who was called Peter. Was lodging there. In verse 19 it says. While Peter was pondering the vision. The spirit said to him. Behold three men. Are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them. Without hesitation. For I have sent them. See, This was Already. God working this and here, here are these people. Hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna explain what I'm doing in and through you, what I'm changing in and through you. You're, you're going to see unfold in front of you and you see God respond to this. In verse 21 it says, And when Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for, what is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. Cornelius doesn't even really know what he has to say. He's just like, I know that God is going to speak through this man and when he gets here... Because you see in anticipation, in just a little bit, you see he invites his whole family and close friends into the house. He is prepared for God to do something miraculous. <clears throat> and was directed by a holy angel to send for you to his house to hear what you have to say. In verse 23 it says, So he invited them in to be his guests, which, which is a big deal. Now, I, I read one commentary that said that he, even him being in the tanner's house, so the tanner... Uh, like oh like tanning bed like this isn't Tanner's house like you go and get your spray tan or you know you get in the thing I know I just had to say that it's someone that takes skins and he tans them he, he makes them different colors leathers well skins are dead things and in the Jewish culture to touch dead animals was also making you unclean, which would also separate you. So he's even in a house already that he's making some compromises. And so Peter invites them in. They stay the night. They eat lunch with him. They stay the night and head out the next morning. Verse 24. And the following day they entered. um, Oh, my gosh. Caesarea. Yeah. I said it just a second ago, and I just couldn't get it. Thank you. appreciate that. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. Cornelius, faithfully waiting for the fulfillment of what God said, he was prepared. God spoke, hey, what Peter's going to bring you is from me. And he didn't just say, hey, I want it for myself. He invites his family and friends, and we see earlier on in verses 1 through 8 that not only was Cornelius faithful, but his household was faithful. I mean, he, he was leading his household into this devotion to Yahweh. <clears throat> in verse 25, it says, When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, "Stand up! I too am a man." He was trying to honor him, but in, in their culture, this was basically saying, "Hey, you are you are divine. You're like you're you're next to God or God." And this was, uh, if you if you read two chapters later, um, God shows how he feels about people stealing his praise and glory. I don't know if you read a little bit later. You see Herod. He gives a speech. Everybody loved the speech. And it was like, it was like the voice of God. And Herod was like, yes, it was. And then he was eaten by worms and died, which, you know, let's not steal God's glory. Uh, and Peter didn't. Peter in, it immediately was like, get up off the ground. I'm just a guy. I'm just like you are. I am, I, I'm, I'm on the same plane as you. I'm, I'm not to be praised or anything. And he lifts them up. In verse 27. It says, and he was talking with them. He went in and found many persons gathered. So he walked into the meeting room and friends and family were waiting for Peter. And he said to them, you yourself know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for you, I came without objection, even though he had to see that vision three times now. I mean, after that third time, he was ready like he was ready. And I asked then why you sent for me. See, there wasn't necessarily any direct laws to say you couldn't be friends with a Gentile, but there was lots of purity laws that would isolate you from them. So being in their presence, being around them, it wasn't necessarily them, but it was things that they were doing that would make you unclean, which would separate you if you're trying to be a holy and pure, separated Jew of the day, you would be, you, you would become unclean. So you would intentionally not hang around them. So what's crazy is these, now for the most part, when those 3,000 people got saved, those were all Jews that had said yes to Jesus. And so now there's a problem for the church to expand to to reach the world if they're all in the same boat of going, hey, I know they need Jesus, but like I can't enter into their house. I I can't go. And it's really hard to bring someone to faith if you won't be around them. And Jesus was already making hints of this change about defilement in Mark 7, which I alluded to this a second ago, Mark 7, 14 through 34, and it says, it's not what goes into your body that defiles, but rather, what comes out. So he's already starting, he's he's put these seeds in their minds that something is going to change. And so, uh, the next two or three verses, Cornelius explains the vision that God's given him. He tells Peter why I called you here. In verse 33, it says, So I sent for you at once, which I love Cornelius, heard at once, called for Peter, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Peter, Peter's getting ready to give another sermon. and It's very similar to the one that he gave at Pentecost. He explains a lot of things. And so in verse 34 it says so Peter opened his mouth and said truthfully I understand that God shows no partiality. Peter saying, I get it. I mean he's going to struggle with it, but he he gets that God and he God's going to answer this in just like 10 verses. He's going to show him How this is true. And he said, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. Acceptable to enter into this relationship with Jesus. And just on a side note, order is important here. Because I think sometimes when we look at these things, does what is right, and you'll be like, oh, you know, do we do anything that is right for all of sin and falling short of the glory of God? The order is important here. The first one was he fears him and does what is right. The, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of that, meaning he understands who God is. Maybe not fully because, you know, he was partially seeing who God was. Jesus, Peter was getting ready to reveal it to him. Salvation, in, 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 and so uh, <clears throat> he's not talking about a works-based salvation. It's not like, hey, if you do what is right, you know, God's going to honor that. What he's saying is that God's going to open himself up to those who fear him and are in their best ability doing what is right. And that doesn't mean he's opening the door. He's opening them to have a relationship with Jesus. And then Jesus transforms them. In verse 36, it says, As for the Lord that he sent, as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what has happened throughout all of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism of John. That John proclaimed. See, he, he's telling, Cornelius understands what's going on. Like he, he said, he's part of the Roman government. He understands what happened. He's heard the stories somewhat. Verse 38, it says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. And God was with him. And we are all witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him appear, not to all people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead and He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. Verse 43. To him, all the prophets bear witness and everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. So he's telling them, hey. What, what you know, because he understands the law and the prophets because he's been going to synagogue. He, he's been going to the Jewish church. He's been hearing. He knows who the Old Testament God is. He is living in the area. He is, uh, he is not unaware. Maybe he's not made the connection. But he's not unaware of who John the Baptist was and what John the Baptist did and how the Holy Spirit came to Jesus and at his baptism and how he did these things and how he was put to death and that he went to the grave he came out of the grave and god opened the eyes of those who heard and what's crazy and this is the kind of sermons i would love to uh, preach he didn't even finish his sermon in the middle i want a middle of a sermon that people are just like i need jesus i just want like you know, because it, it, you know that it's not the preacher in the middle of the sermon when people are like the Holy Spirit is getting ready to fall. People are getting ready to get saved and the sermon's not even done. See, you don't even have to wait until we go, hey, now it's time to pray. In the middle of this, the Holy Spirit can be doing something in you and it changed your life completely. This is what happens. See, Peter has been like, what what does this mean? What is going on with the church? He's trying to be faithful to what God is calling him to do, even though it's uncomfortable. Even though it's changing everything he's thought and believed for years about what he can eat or not eat or who he can associate or not associate with. And the Holy Spirit comes to prove that God is doing this, to prove what God's doing. In verse 44, it says, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit, in the middle of the sermon, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who came with Peter, Peter brought an entourage and they, they were pretty common to go two by two. Peter brought, I think there was five other people with him. Um, partially for this moment, partially so that he would have other witnesses. So he's not just going down there because the church is going to change. I mean, there's lots of debates that are going to come from this, like the next chapter in Acts deals with him going and telling the, the rest of the apostles, this is what God is doing. And he took five other witnesses, these circumcised, to see what God did, who came with Peter were amazed because the gifts, of the Holy Spirit were poured out not even uh, poured out even on the Gentiles. The church, as we know it, began here. Out of a very uncomfortable command that God gave Peter to go do something that he didn't feel like he wanted to do. It changed him. And they were immediately. Peter was like, "What? What keeps them from getting baptized?" And so, his family and friends and all that received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They got baptized in water. And the church opened its doors while, wide to the non-Jews, to the Gentile world, which radically transformed what's going to happen. That is happening. Right now, he opened the door to you and me. This is our text. This is proof of what God was saying all through the New Testament about this is who I'm coming for. So, here's where I want to go. So what does this mean for you and me today? So you read these things, you read through Acts 10, you hear these stories and you're like, man, that's great. You know, love to see what God was doing. Acts literally are the Acts of the Apostles. This is the the whole book of Acts is the birth of the church and the church is now being opened up to Gentiles. So what does this mean for me today? Well, one, it means that if you don't know Jesus and you're not a Jew, um, that Jesus has proven definitely that he's opened himself to you. He's opened himself to us that weren't part of the original nation of Israel. He has opened his doors to non-Jews. And what it also means for us is that God is actively looking for willing people to carry his word out. So if you are a child of God, if you have made a declaration of faith, He's asking to use you to change his world. He's asking you to be available to that. And let me just tell you, at least through what I see, and there's lots of other things, but at least through what I see in this text, Peter wasn't doing anything special. I guarantee you he didn't wake up that morning going, today's the day. I think we feel like Maybe in hindsight, we're like, oh, I knew that that day was going to be special. But in the moment, Peter was just going upstairs to spend time with his Savior. And in his time meeting with his Savior, God spoke to him. So our response... Is to stay connected, and I I know we talk about all the time, you know, being in the Word and having a reading plan, and you know, and, and and being intentional about your prayer life. And I think sometimes it can feel like, oh yes, it's it's just another thing that I have to do in my overly busy day. But if we look at this correctly, and this is the only way to really look at this, our only opportunity for life we went through this in, uh, I think, John 10, not too long ago. I am the vine, you are the branches. Any man that remains in me and I in him, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. There is no life for us without a connection to Jesus. Like, we were, what we believe is that we, every single one of us, were created in the image of God. Our Creator, His name, His earthly name was Jesus. He spoke us into existence, is right now working things to his end, and his desire is for us to have relationship with the one that created us, period. That's his desire. And our only way of connecting to that is through Jesus. And the whole mission and purpose that we have as a church is to connect you, not to this church, not to, I mean, we want you to be members, don't get me wrong in saying this, but our goal, our end game is not to connect you to a body of believers, our end game is to connect you to a Savior. Because that Savior is where life comes from, it's where joy comes from, it's where purpose comes from, it's where destiny comes from, and if you're not connected to that, if you're not actively pursuing that, you're going to miss opportunities to be used by God. And I I, I mean, of course, this wouldn't happen because this is God's ordained will. This is what He designed to happen. But let's just look at it this way. This is not guilt or shame about you not doing devotions. This is to inspire you, to encourage you to get into the Word. What would have happened if Peter wasn't up there at 12 that day? Of course... It was going to happen the way God had designed it to happen. But the the thought is that if we're not connecting, we're missing our opportunity to see God move. So our response is to stay connected, to get in His Word. The reason why we encourage community groups, the reason why we encourage even um, disc golf outings is so that you can connect with other believers so that you can encourage one another, so that you can experience more of what God has for us. So our response is to stay connected. You put yourself in a position to hear. One, do you want to? Like, is, is this a desire? I mean, not necessarily, you know, to do what Peter did, but is a desire for you to see God move in you? Is there people in and around your life that you desire to see Jesus? That you desire for their lives to be open, their eyes and their hearts and their minds to be open to God? You have to put yourself in a position to hear. And I think this is the most important thing, because I think sometimes we hear and ignore. Like, I think sometimes God two or three times is like, hey, hey, and Peter, as hard-headed as he is, and I feel like, I know there's not really punishment in heaven, I mean, there's punishment later, but um, I feel like Peter's going to whoop me. Like He's like, serious? But I think we need to understand that God's okay with you being hard-headed. God's okay with you missing it. But God wants you to get the point. Peter, as much as he was hard-headed, he still came to that place of activity. He came to that place of movement. And I think the hardest part of this today, because this is all future, this isn't necessarily something, I mean, the decision today, well, one would be saying, hey, I need Jesus more than anybody, but really the decision today is being willing to set aside time in your life to connect with the Father so that He can speak to you. Because you don't get to the most important part, which is acting on what he said to you when you're not putting yourself in a position to hear. And so what I want to go today, I'm going to invite our worship team to come back up. And really, where I want us to land is, do you want it? Do you want to see God move? I mean, I talk to so many people that are are just broken by what's going on around them. But I honestly believe that sometimes we're not willing to do what it takes to get uncomfortable to see God move. And so my biggest ask for today is, are you willing to prepare yourself to put yourself in a position to hear God? And of course, to hear from God, you've got to be connected to God. You've got to be His child. And so if you're not His child, the, the, the key, the, the, the point of this is that Jesus proved His love for you once and for all on the cross. God knew that you could not do what you needed to do to make yourself right before the Father. So He sent His Son to do what you couldn't do, to die on the cross For you to take your penalty so that all those who believe in Jesus would be set free. Your freedom, your opportunity for freedom comes from Jesus. So as we worship, as we close today, one, are you a child of God? Have you said yes to Jesus? And is that acknowledgement, that declaration moving you to be connected to the vine, connected to the source. And for all of us in this room that call ourselves children of God, are you putting yourself in a position to hear and be obedient? My prayer, which I'm getting ready to pray for you today, is a prayer of faith that you would be inspired, not by what I say, not by what I'm talking about necessarily, but what the Word is calling us to do. He's called us to reach His world, and He wants to do it in and through us. It wasn't Peter's idea to go to Cornelius' house. He didn't wake up that morning and be like, we're about to bust the doors wide open to the Gentiles. He woke up that morning and said, I love Jesus. I need to connect to Jesus. And he went upstairs to pray. And in his prayer, God responded to him and told him what to do. And he was obedient. That, that's the simplicity. If you learn to hear the voice of God and, and plugging uh, experiencing God. We do a small group on a regular basis. If you want to hear, learn to hear the voice of God, It's practice. It's intention of being in His Word, praying, being in community. There's all of these ways that God speaks to us. And selfishly, I want to see our church reach our community. And the truth is, it will not happen in this place. If we're going to be effective... It's going to take you guys getting uncomfortable and walking outside of these walls and loving on people, speaking the truth in love and allowing the Holy Spirit to lead you into places that He desires for you to go. So let's pray. dearly Father, it is by Your grace and mercy that right now that we have breath in our lungs and it, it, I acknowledge that if we're in this room right now, based on what you've placed on my heart to preach this morning, that you have a desire for us in this room to be engaged in your kingdom, seeing your kingdom come. And Lord, for anyone in this room that has really not submitted and surrendered, Lord, you do the work. Lord, I pray just like we saw in Acts 10 that You would show them Yourself, that You would bring them to a place of repentance, that You would bring them to a place of surrender to You, and that life would begin afresh now. And for all of us in this room, that we love You, we just struggle living for You day in, day out. Lord, I pray that You would just press on us, that Lord, right now, just like Peter, that you would put a desire to be obedient. That in the days and weeks ahead that we would be sitting in our Cornelius' house. In his presence. Ready to be obedient to what you've called us to do and to say. Lord, we desire to see your spirit come. To see your kingdom come. To see sons and daughters enter into that kingdom, and that will not happen without our obedience to the call that you've placed on us. And so, Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for what your word does in and through us, what it opens our eyes to, and as we worship this morning, I pray in Jesus' name that you would help us engage Lord, I pray that we would see the fruitfulness that comes with being connected to the vine. That we, as your branches, would get the joy of seeing fruit in our lives that comes from you. And so, Lord, as we worship, I pray that you would be lifted high. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.